guys. Welcome to episode number 388 of the Cleveland Moto Podcast. Light them up. Ah, and they're off. Yay. So, uh, first things first, we have a we have a guest today. We're going to get to that, but... That. Here's okay, yeah. right. I'm a that snail. First things first. Here's the Queen Elizabeth. Hell of a run. One for the homie. Goddamn hell of a run. Now, we might have to toast again. We may. Because I brought some... Uh, Oh, some good scotch. To toast oh, oh, there you go. She would appreciate uh, I think that. She, I think she would approve. I think she would. You, you're mm-hmm. right. We may have to toast later in the podcast with proper scotch. God damn it, Don. Mm-hmm. Dan, you're on point. <laughs> Don, whoever your name. <laughs> to my immediate left is Don. No. Don, Don number two. <laughs> to my immediate left is? Oscar. And to his immediate left? Steve Sleepy. And to his immediate left? Dan Kropke, who brought the scotch on his British motorcycle. Salt man. Salt man. Double, double. Man, no, I had a, I came from work, I didn't, and I had to take camera gear today. I couldn't ride my bike. Right. Yeah, and to his left, Chris Smith. And to his left, Nigel Pym. Nigel is our guest tonight. Uh, we're going to get into that. You know why you're here, among other things. You know, why you're here. We'll have to talk to <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> ben you here to know why you're here. But in, in lieu of a discussion with your parents, we know you're here, and that's enough. Um, as we always joke and they say, like, we're all here because we're not all there. And that's why the podcast is so goddamn entertaining. Uh, tonight, I'm going to keep having images up of the queen doing queeny things. Fantastic. As long uh, as it's not a video. What I think is very... Oh, right. So what is funny is this particular image is of Prince Philip and the queen in Berlin taking a selfie on a Vespa. There's a lot to take apart in this picture. <laughs> a are lot. You, are we sure that is the Queen? Of well, it's, it it's looks been, like doppelgangers to it me. It does, and it has been it has been chewed up a little bit. But again, <laughs> don't let your facts get in the way of my sorry, fantasy. Sorry, don't let those facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I'm, bo- I'm boringly precise. I'm sorry. I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and but, if you squint enough, she does look like mm. the Queen. Right, and then here's another picture oh, of the queen does. on the back of a Honda. Uh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a picture of the queen on the back of a Honda. Uh, that looks to me like a Honda CB450 Black Bomber, by the way. Her sister was a, uh, was a famous pillion rider, wasn't she, when she met up she with, uh, with uh, Anthony uh, Jones, whatnot, Armstrong Jones. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that we have to acknowledge that the royal family was good TV. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were kind of built for the whole media empire. Mm -hmm. And when anything got boring in the UK, somebody could say, well, what are the royals up to? (laughs) That's why they were on so much. (laughs) I, I don't want to say that like, oh, you're like, oh, you know. Like the Kardashians. Oh, dear, <laughs> Phil, please. It was all going so well. That's harsh. Because, you know, America has their royal families as well. Sure, you know? sure. I mean, we've got, we got Schwarzeneggers in there. we got Kennedys in there. <laughs> yeah, same, right? amount of, yeah. same amount of skill needed to contain either. No. Oh, my goodness. So, but again, we, we, have, we have a lot of fun with it. But the point being that uh, she had a hell of a run. Yeah. Somebody, I was, uh, just, I was just telling Nigel. Hell of a run. I heard today that every single James Bond that we've ever known has yeah. served for her. Yes, that's an excellent point. Oh, wow. That is an yeah. absolutely every excellent movie. point. He was under yeah. the Queen's. Of course, yeah. yeah. 
on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Service. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and that's that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the reason that oh, there's there's a picture that always gets cropped, and I mean constantly gets cropped. And I brought the picture up for a reason. When this picture is usually seen, it's not seen in its full frame. It's only when you see this picture, usually the only part of the picture that you see is this piece right here. And so you normally only see just the queen Ah. riding around some petrol cans, right? And what you don't realize is that in this particular image, the queen is participating in a fucking Gymkhana. Mm. Well done. Yeah. You know, Mm. Uh, that's pretty cool. And I believe, unless I'm mistaken, based on the livery of the vehicles, uh, those are military bikes. Uh, Not so. Are they police? No, I think they are military bikes. And I would strongly suspect that that was during the Second World War because Mm -hmm. they've got the white paint on the front mudguard and so on. Um, which uh, most cars and so on had the white paint on because they had the blackouts. And these bikes um, do have blackout lights on them. Yeah. Oh. So the bikes have blackout winkers on yes, them. They, yes, they do, don't they? And uh, <laughs> that would suggest that World War Two mm-hmm. being in effect and the white fender just so you don't accidentally back into somebody and because she, you got limited visibility. And she was training as a, as a driver within the women's whatever it was, the oh, army. Yeah, it was something like that, yeah. So she, well, there's the picture of her driving the truck as well. Oh, of that's cool. Um, so she will have no doubt learned to ride a motorcycle. Wait till you see her driving the train. Here you go. <laughs> I'm, I gotta say, just for everybody who kind of grew up at the time when I did, a lot of it was watching British television, all having a lot of fun. Because remember in the United States, we got Monty Python and we got the mm-hmm. young ones. Yep. That was Benny Hill. Oh, yeah. That's all we got. So if you want to know what our exposure to Britain. Well, are you being served? Hello, hello. We didn't get much of that. No. That was in the wee wee hours on. uh, My favorite show. On public radio. On public television. Yeah. Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. 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 There you go. We grew up with Doctor Who. Yes. 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 So that's, uh, that's that's a pretty cool thing to think that our exposure to that idea. And again, Remember, every single one of our elementary school educations, we were so proud of the fact that we beat the British. (laughs) (laughs) At what? (laughs) If you ask us, everything except for 1812, because not any one of us learned anything about 1812. 1812 was strategically cut out of American history. Every bit of it. Most people had no idea the White House was burned. They had no idea why it was white. They had no idea that it had been relocated. None of that. Americans didn't learn that. But everything else, though, oh, man. We grew up listening to Johnny Horton songs about using alligators to defeat the British. Right? (laughs) It was kind of a one-sided story if you grew up here. Mm. Mm, Pretty heavy, right? I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) Who writes history? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same people that are writing it now. Exactly. Right. So that's one of those things. So it is a it is a good time to remember the queen, and it is a great time to also think about just all the stuff that uh, that England and the entire God bless her. She never tried to put her empire back together. Like we are dealing with somebody right now, you know, Vladimir Putin, who wants nothing more than to put his empire back together again. He wants to go back in time and have that union of Soviets again. Mm. And uh, she 
didn't ever talk about like we're going to take that island back now. Well, maybe the Falklands. <laughs> well, that certainly happened. Yes. <laughs> maybe the Falklands. A, that was a different lady that made that. that happen, you're though, right, though. It? Oh, Maggie, boy, that was she the was island tough. Lady. <laughs> she was. Yes. Maggie was a tough oh, one. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, oh boy. Oh yes. Yes. So that is. Uh, so that's a really. Uh, it's a, a poignant thing, but I didn't know about it until I was ordering pizza. Oh, really? That's oh. how you know people like okay. you know. I'll never forget the time when when I found out JFK died. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you exactly what I was doing, and now I can tell you I was ordering Papa John's when I found out about <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. But yeah. you have to consider that we probably sitting around this table, we were probably leaning a little more British than our friends that grew up in NASCAR families, yeah, right. and our friends that grew up in wrestling families, and friends that grew up in football or baseball families, not the interesting football, the American one with all the pads and armor. The, uh, people, but that, it, people that grew up in pointy hat. In yeah. pointy hat territory, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No. But I can tell you today that like being a, a 13 or you know year old kid, having my illegal British new wave and punk rock tapes that... <laughs> My dad would not acknowledge or would not let me have in the house. I got grounded. I mean, I got grounded really? because of a Gary Newman album. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, so, so Gary Newman came out. That was an interesting time. Sorry, should we talk go, about no, me? Go ahead. Really, should I? Yeah, no. I, was, uh, I was in college. I, I was a, I was a uh, teenage bunkie, but no, I wasn't. I was in, I was in, <laughs> in college, and, I, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that um, one of my friends was, uh, I was studying engineering, and one of my friends was studying in... Um, hairdressing and barbering and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So he used me and some of the other lads as a bit of a uh, bit of a sort of guinea pig sort of thing, you know. <laughs> so I uh, I turned up at, uh, I'd, I'd been at college on the back end of the week and um, my hair was fairly long and he'd been dying at this kind of blondie colour. Well, he put so much crap at it, it started to turn green. <laughs> so over the weekend, he got stuck into it, and I turned up in college on Monday morning with the Gary Newman jet black side parting <laughs> swished over. So that, that was my, whenever I, anyone mentions Gary Newman, that's yeah. all I think of is awesome. state of my hair, my hairstyle when I turned up on the Monday. Talk about all, transformation. All the magazines I liked at that time, you know, like I'd get the magazines of all the punk rock stuff and everything. I didn't know that that was just one area. I just thought like England was just awesome. Like, I thought it was just like, <laughs> mohawks walking around, <laughs> sex pistols everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> and, and that we were, we were discussing before the podcast came on. We were talking about you know the album The Pleasure Principle, which broke in oh, yeah. 1979 <laughs> slash 1980. Your comment of him considering, yeah. he's considering. So the I was trying to describe the album cover to these guys, <laughs> and I was basically trying to say it was a person with a businessman's haircut, yeah. wearing a gray flannel suit, yep. considering a pyramid, yeah. and that's what the image is. Contemplating. He's yeah. contemplating. You're right. He's contemplating he a pyramid. That's exactly what he's doing. With a he's double-breasted. contemplating uh, a pyramid whilst wearing a double-breasted suit. So and that, and it's such a funny thing because when we look at that, now this album got me a light beating and a two-week grounding. <laughs> so I got grounded to my house. What? For real. <laughs> this album, this, this very album, we had a thing in America called the Columbia Record and Tapes Club. Mm-hmm. And so you could pick eight albums or eight tracks and you could get those eight albums delivered to your house for one penny. But if you taped an additional penny to the flyer, you could pick a bonus album. Now the trick in the fine print was you were agreeing to purchase 
three or four more albums over the course of the next year. And whether or not you chose your album in time, they would take the album of the month and send it to you, postage <laughs> due, right? So if you returned it and said, Phil Waters doesn't live here anymore, which most of us did, yes. they would then just bill you for it, right? Because it's not their fault. You didn't take the album. You were contractually obliged to take. Now they would send you a little notice and the notice said, I am acknowledging I'm supposed to be taking an album this month, but I'm going to pass on Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. I don't want that album, right? And of course, because we were slackers and we were kids and we were stupid, <laughs> we always missed that notification, right? We missed it. Parents threw it out. It was junk mail. It was a little postcard. And so you'd get a lot of albums showing up at the house that you didn't want. And you'd be billed for those. That's where they got you. And that's yeah. how most of us started life with bad credit. You know, that's what, that's what murdered your fucking credit in 1983. And also because they never checked how old you were when you signed up for this stupid thing. Well, it's the new, it's the new subscribe for two oh, weeks. Of course it is. For a dollar. Right. And then reoccurring. They exactly. You, and that's exactly after. what it was. And remember, yeah. people didn't have credit cards back then. It was like all based on you're going to mail in a check or we're going to slaughter your credit rating forever. <laughs> Cost me seven years to get out of the Columbia Records and Tape Club. And that's why I had a 520 credit score. Couldn't buy a house because Columbia Record and Tapes Club. Nice. But anyway, my father saw this album. He saw this album. He didn't listen to the album. He saw the album. And he literally went on a rant about me listening to faggity-ass music. And saw that. And I said, this is pretty lightweight. I mean, this yeah. is pretty light duty. If you look at this, this is not Culture Club. This is not, you know, the bands who really were owning it you know, Iggy Pop, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not any of that. This is a very, very conservative businessman contemplating a, a pyramid. That's it. He has a little bit of eyeliner on. You He's got a little have, eyeshadow. You brought the Bronski beat album home. Oh my God. I'm not, <laughs> I, but again, I took a light beating and I took two weeks grounded, right? Because of this fucking album. So, and meanwhile, I had, you know, I had all kinds of hidden, I had all kinds of hidden stuff and I would stay up until midnight to watch The Young Ones. Oh, yeah. mm. oh, yes. You know? And I would watch Monty Python on the Holy Grail and Benny Hill because there was an equal likelihood of seeing a boob. Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. They always put one boob in. You know, <laughs> Benny Hill, three or four. But yeah. Monty Python would have one, and it was usually a Terry Gilliam-like drawing or a, a piece of art. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but so that's it. And, and again, if you would have asked me when I was 18 years old, I was pretty certain that was the British contribution to society and art. Wow. <laughs> You should what do you know? You should have played him something by the pistols. That would have upset oh, him, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, there were opportunities. Uh, yeah, but again, we th that was not a surprise to anybody who knew him. Right? <laughs> to anyone who knew him, that was completely not a surprise. But that's a uh, that's an really really funny thing about you know where Britain was in 1979. Oh yeah. Versus where the United States was yeah. in 1979. So it's it is an interesting thing. So we thank the British constantly. For getting us out of our vacuum. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when I was a when I was a little kid, I was in our uh, in our junior school. I was the first kid in the school with long hair, and we didn't we didn't <laughs> allow the Beatles and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, oh, it was yeah. Just, yeah. And um, there was a we, whenever we saw TV of America, it was sort of like partway through the Vietnam era and that kind of stuff. And the kids over here always had short crew cuts and mm -hmm. stuff, and we we're like, 
that's awful. That's like <laughs> <laughs> we were like getting a bit more free and easy. Yeah. We found a picture of Nigel in the eighties. There you go. <laughs> Actually, that, that's not too different. Too different from the old before and after. <laughs> that's not quite as effeminate as it's that. Not but. quite as Bowie, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, uh, just not not as Bowie, right? But I, fair game. I've got a picture of me with those with those hairstyles, very similar to that. But I'm proud to tell you that I was wearing a, a really rough military jacket, motorcycle jacket. At the time. Nice. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So the so Nigel's been a customer here because unf- like you have made a decision to own Moto Guzzi motorbikes. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's kind of one of the things that love Guzzi. I know. <laughs> and that's one of the <laughs> And for people who have that DNA flaw, it, it is it is it. And for ages and ages and ages, ever since I've owned a shop, there's always been a, a good chance that if you come into the shop, whatever it was, whenever it was, 20 some years ago one of my Gootsies would be parked in the shop. And it never went unnoticed. There's a Gootsie in the shop. You're going to get everything. Now, in the United States, what you get a lot of is, Moto Guzzi, who makes that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, fair enough. Who took that Harley motor and swapped it sideways? That's another one. That's another one. That's, That's great. Oh, so is that a Honda CX? Oh. 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 Why did you just kick the guy in the balls, man? fighting words there, man. Not nearly that reliable. <laughs> a good point, well presented. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And so having, having a Gucci around is always a thing, right? And, mm-hmm. and the thing that I said for years was, no matter what room you go into, no matter what venue you show up at, if you show up on a Gucci, you are already the most interesting person in the room. I don't care if there's 375 motorcycles out front. If you pull up on a Gucci, motherfuckers will trip over a $100,000 show bike to come and look at your V50, right? It's weird. Go ahead, Chris. Now, have you been to a Gucci rally? A bunch. <laughs> oh no interesting people fuck me uh, well okay Gainesville uh, <laughs> not enough margaritas to make you enjoy that well we got preloaded we, yeah, right, we got yeah. preloaded we decided to go to the Mexican restaurant before we went into the Gucci rally because we were unfashionably early which for us, meant six hours after the last guy showed up because Moto Guzzi rallies and BMW rallies have a lot in common. They get there yesterday. They do. <laughs> if you're not there a day before the event, you're a day late to the event. And because also the vast majority of them are older, retireder, <laughs> and heavier, right? And But there's that thing. And I mean, this picture to me really says a lot. Uh, this particular image, and when you go to a Gucci rally, there will be a lot of old men with white hair and long beards and uh, red suspenders, <laughs> red braces, if you will. Yep. Um, you will see a lot of that, and that is a big part of going to a Gucci rally. Now, and, and they all want to ask you endless questions. Or give you unsolicited advice. <laughs> And the unsolicited advice part is probably my favorite for about the first three hours, you know, and because that is, I mean, that is very much a real, real thing. And when we, you know, when we see 
stuff like at AMA Vintage Days, this is a uh, Motor Guzzi ambassador that has had its motor removed and a turbine from a Chinook helicopter has been installed sideways. <laughs> and I, was, I thought it was the funniest thing because I'd heard the sound mm-hmm. of a turbine, you know, a, a turbine firing. And this thing runs on JP4. I mean, it, it's not some, you know, rigged up thing that doesn't work. No, it totally drives. It works. It's functional and, you, the, you know, you can ride it around and things like that. Um, I'm not going to do the thing that I want to do because we'll get demonetized again. I so desperately want to show you the video, but I can't because then we'll get yelled at and demonetized. Even if it was a video that I posted, which is the ultimate silliness. Uh I know, right? But Gootsy has been a lot of strange places. So, you know, Gootsy went from being a rather pedestrian single cylinder motorcycle Mm. in the 50s. uh, And it turned into kind of a, a brute. You know, they became quite brutish. And they had a reputation for a very, very long time of being kind of a, you know, a a hairy chested Lothario of motorcycles. And regardless of what your flavor was, whether you were a Norton guy or a Triumph guy when that mattered, because now it doesn't. (laughs) Let's be honest. If you're a Norton guy, you're just a slightly different flavor of Triumph guy. And if you're a Triumph guy, you're really just a shadow of what used to be a Triumph guy. And the Triumph guys and the BSA guys and the Norton guys used to be able to argue. And then what the Triumph guys and the BSA guys weren't allowed to argue anymore. Yeah, we get the same, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. how, how did that what feel growing up? Um, well, I'm of, I'm of a vintage that the, uh, the British motorcycle industry was kind of, just, just as I started getting into it, it just all collapsed and the Japanese had turned up. So my first <laughs> motorcycle was, it was a Suzuki, uh, and, and all the lads that I was, when I became an apprentice, which was the first time I could afford to buy a, a motor motorcycle. And it was, but I was only 16. So I was, uh, I was only legally allowed to ride what's known as a sports moped. Right. So it was a Suzuki <laughs> AP50. actually had pedals on it, but right. you, pe- you, d- you disconnected them and made it so they both faced the same way. Right. And if you got flattened out down the tank, it would do 57 miles an hour. <laughs> nice. But yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I'm sorry to answer your question. The, the Japs had pretty well taken over. You'd mm-hmm. occasionally see a Triumph and we'd all drool over it, but there were like 50,000 Hondas for every Triumph. Yeah, sure. So what year did you get your your full license? So you're 18 when you get your full license? Uh, 17. Yeah. I got, got, I got my, my limited license for a moped. I was 16. Mm-hmm. And then I was, sorry, so what year was this? Yeah, That's what year was the that? question, wasn't it? Yeah. 78, I think. Right. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And that's the funny thing, too, because you think about the motorcycles that were available in 78. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. you could go to the Triumph dealership and there were still Triumphs to be had. Yes. But nobody wanted them. They were very rare. Very yeah. rare. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and the, other, the other thing that happened, it must have been, I might be telling you a fib there, it might have been 79. Yeah. Because when I, when I went to work, the guy, there was a, an apprentice a year above me, and his dad was obviously looking after him. We had obviously had plenty of candy because he had the brand new Honda CBX. Yeah. So that would have been 70, late 79. 79. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. were crowds forming around mm-hmm. that baby. Yeah. 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 And, and another guy in, in our year um, had got, because you could ride um, on learner plates, you could ride, when she was 17, on learner plates, you could ride up to a 250. 
and one of the lads got a Kawasaki KH250. I thought that was a wonderful thing, the yeah. triple. The KH, oh, the S3s and S4s and all those two-stroke triples, so fierce. Beautiful. I mean, just really good bikes. Yeah. That's the thing that what you're describing, though, is you know England had that, that or still does the staging of different licenses yes. here in America. You know, I, I used to work at a dealership way back in the day. There'd be like a 16 year old kid with his birthday money coming in. I'll take that R1. Oh, have you ever ridden before? No, no. And then you just see him zing across the parking lot and murder themselves four seconds later as the guy gets counted his money, didn't care at all. It was just such a ridiculous system. Oh, you've never yeah. ridden before? Here, take the 1600cc bike, that'll be perfect for you. You know, can you imagine having to make a choice, the Sophie's choice? Between an early 70s, because, you know, you, you could probably afford a 10-year-old bike, right? You're 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. Your probably budget is probably fair around a 10-year-old bike. So you're not looking at a CBX. No. Uh, no. no. This guy was very <laughs> unusual. Had that. Very but unusual. you're probably looking at at least a 10-year-old bike. If I had to look at a 10-year-old bike, and my options were looking at literally... A Triumph Tiger Cup Mm -hmm. or a Triumph Trophy 250, even the top, top of the range. When you look at that motorcycle, that does not look like a sexy motorcycle. Especially if you've grown up in the place where they made them and that's all you've been seeing for the first 20 (laughs) years of your goddamn life. That motorcycle is not the epitome of sexy. That motorcycle is kind of... eh. I mean, I'm kind of digging it. I know you're digging it because you're looking at it through the eyes of a 50-year-old white guy. I know. Right. (laughs) Right. But if you were looking at it through the eyes of an 18-year-old British kid, and that's what people don't realize is in every motorcycle culture, we get in here a lot. People are like, oh, my God, the greatest bike in the world. The greatest bike in the world was a 1967 Vespa Supersport. And you're like, unless you were a 20-year-old kid in 1967, in which case you've been looking at Vespas for the past all your life and that is just your mom's bike and there's nothing less cool than your mom's bike and that's where it's kind of like the reality when you're like oh when you grew up and when you were of age that's when all these you know that's when triumph started having mag wheels that's when triumph started having oil in the frame we hardly ever saw those in britain i think they exported most of them (laughs) over here to be honest yeah Yeah, Yeah. they did and that's when that's when the triples started being a thing which we never saw. And they were already outclassed by the Japanese. Yeah, killed. So what did they do? I can tell you from growing up in that time period, they sent them here. Yeah. And okay. that's okay. where they came. We never saw them. And you never saw <laughs> And that's the craziest thing. And you're like, there was a factory still open in Coventry. But you'd never know. Yeah. You had no fucking idea. We never, yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you where the, where the Triumph dealer was. It was but there were, <laughs> I could tell you where all the other bike shops were. Exactly. <laughs> The bikes that the, lad, the lads all wanted, I mean, I could never afford a new bike. So right. I had this very second-hand Honda 50, and then when I turned 17, I had a Honda CB200. Woo-woo. <laughs> the, 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 bike, the bikes that, the, that were a bit cooler that everybody was, was aspiring to, the, the, the common ones, obviously you had something a little unusual, like Pete Yard was KH250. Yeah. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. But, yeah. but the one they all had was the Yamaha RDs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'd all buy the, R, with the one with the coffin tank and the speed yeah. block graphics on it. And they, they all went for the 250 because you could ride it on your L plates. Wow. And then they tried to upgrade it to a 400 if they could. 
Yeah. So you could yeah. ride a 250 on your L plate. I thought L plate yes. was 125, but no, back then two, it was 250. 250, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was 50cc <laughs> when you were 16. Once you turned 17, you could ride 250 okay. uh, on an L plate. You couldn't carry a pillion passenger mm. and you couldn't go on a motorway. You could only use so normal a, roads. It was a restricted license. Yeah. Kind of. By, but, the, but by it, the standards that we kind of had here, you know? But it, it didn't bother anybody, really. There were people that never, ever bothered taking the test because why would you? Fortunately for me, I did take my test because when I came back to motorcycling years later, they had uh, upped the requirements to take it to get a license dramatically you had to do uh, an off an off-road thing and then a written test and then you had to do two years on a restricted engine mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff community well, service that, that kind of stuff yeah 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 but me me and my little cb cb 200 had done it thank you very much indeed and i had a little stamp on my license so one of these so i've got a nice little story for you here so um because I was into into bicycle racing, my only motorized form of transport was this CB200. And I decided to get a car because then you could put your bike in the back of that and go to bike races that were further away in the country. So, yeah. And then I married a nurse and the nurse wouldn't let me buy another motorcycle because she's seen too many problems. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine. So fast forward another 20-something years and um, the nurse was history. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, and I'm, 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 li- I'm living on my own in this little village in Buckinghamshire and by this time I've got myself this new American girlfriend from Cleveland and, uh, and I, uh, <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio <laughs> so, I, uh, so I, phoned, I phoned her up and, oh, and, and I should tell you that she's 17 years younger than 14 years younger than me well done so, um, so that's, it's Friday and we, we're chatting away on the because I did a deal on a transatlantic phone package thing we're chatting away. What are you going to do this weekend? Uh, well, actually, tomorrow I'm going to pop down into, to, into the town because I've seen there's a place there that does motorbikes. They do motorbike repairs and they sell some used ones. And they've got a big old Triumph out there, a big Triumph triple, and I really fancy I'm going to buy it. You're going to buy a motorcycle? Yes. Is this your midlife crisis? <laughs> no, darling, you're my midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm just buying a motorcycle. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> How did that go over? <laughs> well, we've told the story many, many times in her presence, in her and presence. she still thinks it's funny. It's still oh, great. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. That's great. What the hell was she doing in Buckinghamshire? Living with me. Really? So, yeah, so if you look, you, if you where you've got that little, mm-hmm. that little pin in the map, yeah. just up to the top right of that, uh, you've got a little place called Leighton Buzzard. <laughs> and, and I, I live now. In a, wait, you're 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 no, clearly it's there. It's there. You can read. It. I can read it from now, here. Now wait a second. Seriously, it's there. Leighton Buzzer. So I live just outside of there, just to the <laughs> left. You like, see, this is one of those towns that they completely make up the names of, like you know, farthing chipping, <laughs> farthing chipping on Shire. I, I right. come from that sort of thing. Leighton so, Buzzard. So drop your mouse down to the to the to the south. Southwest, and right. there you see wing, wing. wing. Right. That's that's, where that's I the lived. wing of Leighton Buzzard. Wing, that's where I lived in wing, wing. And believe it or not, there was an air force base there during the war as well. Imagine being in the air force in a place called Wing. I was yeah. going to say wings <laughs> over wing. I was going to say. <laughs> Was that the wing-wing of the British Air Force? <laughs> we, we did have a Chinese takeaway that was called Wings, which I thought was oh, whatever, yeah. What did called they serve? Wings or the Wings? Yeah, what did they serve? Wings. Wings. <laughs> and other things. That yeah, is hilarious. But, but that's where I lived and, when I was uh, the last uh, 10 years in England, probably. And just to fully hobbit this thing right out, sure. you're from... Manchester. The County Shire. No, wasn't no. Uh, 
Okay. I, I'm from Manchester. I thought I, that I'm, Buckinghamshire I'm, was in Shire County. I know. No. I just figured. I thought. Forgive him. Every it's time. okay. Oh. I tried. I most, thought most counties are something Shire. Shire. Okay. All right. Or yeah. Shire. As well, we I, would call it. Sure. Is a. I'm actually from Cheshire. Well, yes. It's, which it's is a very just, little in front of the Shire. <laughs> and it's Cheshire's just to the. It's the county to the south of Manchester. So I'm like from South Manchester. I'm a northerner basically. Right. But then yeah. I'm, I moved down south. I got a job in London. And if you but we know where that is. Yeah. United or city. United, of course. <laughs> <laughs> when I lived in Manchester for about, I don't know, 15 or something years, I once I gave up cycle racing, I started going to the games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I quickly got to the stage that I used to organize my diary around the United fixture list. There was, a, there was a famous story when I'd been doing some work down in Worcester, which was a good way away. So I used to plan a, uh, well in advance, and I'd go down and stay over for a couple of nights or something. And... Um, I was working, I worked from home, and a gentleman phoned me uh, at home on a Wednesday and spoke to my then wife, the nurse, and said, uh, could I speak to Nigel, please? She said, oh, no, I'm sorry, he's, um, he's out in Spain. They go, oh, he said, good job I phoned then. He's supposed to be coming to see me at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. Good job I phoned to check, isn't it? He won't be coming. So she goes, oh, no, no, she says, he's in Barcelona. He's gone watching United in the European Cup final. I'm not expecting him home later. Don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> oh <shit. laughs> Damn. That was how it ran. <laughs> what they forget is their whole country is a very mm. short drive. Yes. For us. And when we were um, years back, Renee and I were traveling and we decided to go to Essex mm. to go see a band. And the band was called, uh, we, we, I joke all the time, they're called the Newton Neurotics. But I always call them, you know, the, the Norton Narcotics or the, you know, the Newton Neutronics. But I've never said it right in Renee's presence and it gets on her last fucking nerve, right? <laughs> but so we had booked tickets in Essex to see the band. And we were making a tour of England, starting in London and going to Blackpool as you do. Mm. And if you draw a line from London to Blackpool, Essex isn't a part of that. Uh, no. It's well out of your fucking way. And so as we were probably in Birmingham or something, we had stopped in this great little hotel and they had a pool, but the pool being the hotel feature of the, you know, it's not like you're in a hotel and they have a fucking pool. No, there's a hotel, which is shit by American standards, small little tiny beds, little tiny room. And then there happens to be a pool, like a city pool. Next to it. Okay. So the pool is not solely for the use of the guests of the hotel. So we didn't know that. So we go to the hotel and we're like, oh, so what's the deal with the pool? And they go, it's next door. And I said, great. So what do we do? A room key or a hotel key? And they, no, you go and you give them a little, you know, give them a quid, right? <laughs> okay. And you know, so we take towels. No, you're not going to take our, our towels to the... <laughs> To the pool next door. I didn't have no idea they were they were not associated. So we walked next door and we realized very quickly that it was in fact the town pool. Public pool, yeah. And it's a public public pool. And so we go into this place and it's great. We just couldn't get enough of it. You know, gave them a couple of quid to get in the door, and that was cool. And we found all these big floating ladies. And so they're all these big floating ladies and they're rubber ski helm. I mean, swimming hats <laughs> and all their shit. And they're just sort of like blobbing around the pool. <laughs> It's not a pretty image. <laughs> no. And so we'd said, oh, you know, what are we doing? I said, well, we're traveling, we're traveling uh, England. And uh, well, what are you doing? Well, we're going to tiki bars and amusement parks. 
What? Well, we're going to tiki bars and amusement parks. Well, where? I said, well, you know, we did three or four of them in London and South London. And then we're working our way up to Blackpool. I said, but tomorrow night, um, we're going to Essex. Or tonight, rather, we're going to Essex to see uh, a band that we like. And she says, you're going to Essex tonight? And I said, yeah. And all these ladies were just aghast. The term is gobsmacked. <laughs> they were just, you're going to Essex tonight? Yeah, sure. Why not? They were out of their fucking mind. She goes, well, we've never been to Essex. It's not far. It's like an hour drive or what? It's disturbing how far, well, and that, I just did Birminghamshire, which is funny. Yeah, Birminghamshire. <laughs> we didn't need to do Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire yeah. <laughs> but it is not that far. And when you see on a map how not far away Essex <laughs> is, you're going to be like, wait a second. It's literally 33 miles. Oh, now, like, granted, like going to Aurora. Yeah. Now, granted, when we said <laughs> this, fall. yeah, when we said this, we were probably 20 miles the other direction when we'd said that. But still. But the same is Renee and I were fully prepared for an hour to an hour yeah. and 10 minutes in the car to get to Essex yeah. to go see this band. And these ladies were out of their minds. And they said, well, where are you going to finish your trip? And I said, well, Blackpool, of course. They were just, oh, it's not even Christmas. And I didn't even know the whole rule about Blackpool and Christmas. Like at Christmas time, all the English people go to Blackpool the for the twinkly lights. The illumination. The illumination. They turn huh. lights on. <laughs> they have a pier and they have mega. a boardwalk and they turn lights on and yeah. people lose their fucking minds. Wow. And they have special buses and special streetcars that all have lights on them. And it's been a tradition forever. And aside from that, Blackpool has like the 37th most interesting theme park in England. Uh, maybe not. It's oh. it's an okay theme park. To make, to make oh, Nigel okay. feel better, though, yeah. in, our, in our country, there's guys that dig a hole and put mud in it, and yeah. then a thousand people go, and they're excited about that. <laughs> they're very yeah. excited about that. But it was funny that that strange thing about you're, you're traveling from Barcelona back to London or yep, an hour yep. north of. Manchester, yeah. 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 And and people are losing their fucking minds. Now you're not <laughs> now you're not going an hour north of London. You're going three hours north of London. Well, no, flew into Manchester Airport. Oh, yes. you did. Yeah, yes. right, right. Yeah. On. Only ever fly from Manchester. Yeah, Manchester, that's so funny. Manchester, lads. There you go. That's Black, so great. Blackpool's an interesting place actually because it was um, it was a holiday destination where everybody holidayed within the country and mm. all the like the industrial north and so on would have a what they call the wakes week when all the factories would shut down and everybody would go on holiday. And it was, um, it was a beach holiday. They got a beach and they had donkeys on the beach and all that kind of stuff. And, and they built a tower there that's supposed to look like the Eiffel Tower. I'm sure you've seen it, Blackpool Tower. There you go. Huh. It is and supposed they, to look like the Eiffel Tower. Really? <laughs> a third of it. It's like a small version of yeah. it. So like, but it's, it's gone into like real post-decline because nobody goes out on the holidays anymore. So they've got to do other things. So... They built this thing they call the Pleasure Beach, which is the amusement oh. park he's talking about. <laughs> okay, guys. I'm they, not, got look. Lo they got loads of good rides up there and stuff. And they and then they also the Pleasure for the beach. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call it. And they've got they got the illuminations yeah. and they it's they they actually they put like I don't know how many gazillion lights that go up there. And they have the they've got trams that run up and down the front, you know, on the railway thing on the on oh. the front. And they light all those up and it is pretty cool in its way. Pleasure Beach's website is honoring her Majesty the Queen. There you are. Her Royal Highness there is being are. honored at, on the Pleasure Beach. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there you go. There you are. So the Amanda Thompson, the OBE, 
uh, the wow. CEO of Blackpool Pleasure Beach. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, Pleasure Beach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we drove. We drove. We went a long way to go to Pleasure Beach, <laughs> and uh, there's a particular ride there called Valhalla. And Valhalla, <laughs> I know, right? The hits just keep on coming, right? So you're going to go to the extreme north of England, and you're going to ride a ride called Valhalla. But what it is, is it's one of those, you know, log flume rides. It's uh, Oh, yeah, the log flume. Yeah, yeah. I know and you're in a boat. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's a really, really fun ride. And we were kind of, we didn't know. I mean, we had no idea why we were going to you know, Pleasure Beach as a thing. Uh, we knew we were going to ride roller coasters. We knew that it was a destination because we like roller coasters. And usually most British amusement park rides are somewhat more austere than the American ones. Yeah. Subdued. Yeah. A little more subdued. Low rent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, like the big train ride might actually be, you know, quarter scale. <laughs> you might be sitting on top of the train as so much as in the train. But Valhalla wasn't. Valhalla, they'd spent the budget on. They spent all the budget on Valhalla. And it's fucking magic. And it really is, if you are going to the north of England for some strange reason, and you are looking for a way to murder a day, <laughs> and you want to go ride what is, by any standards, a Disney Park level mm. theme and attraction, go ride Valhalla. Because it is not fucking around. And we stayed at the Big Blue Hotel, which is this hotel that's literally on the Pleasure Beach property. So the racing, like the roller coasters, go within inches of your hotel room. It's both great and terrible planning at the same time. <laughs> so not the place to be hung over super strong. Well, we know yeah. where they can get a top thrill dragster. Yeah, for real cheap. cheap. Yeah, you can get a top thrill dragster super cheap. So it is a funny thing, but on our adventures of, uh, of going to Blackpool, <laughs> I went to the Doctor Who Museum. Not okay. the Doctor Who Museum, Ooh. the Doctor Who Museum. Okay. Because you have to say it right. And I walked into the, the front room with a gift shop, as you will, and I'm going through, and there's a 14-year-old spotty kid in the uh, cubicle selling passes or tickets. And I go in, and I'm dressed like I dress, you know, either somewhat military-looking or somewhat motorcycle-looking. Um, this was probably the heat of August, so probably figure 42 and rainy. Uh, yeah, it's about right. <laughs> about right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I go in, and I'm looking around at all the stuff we don't get here, all the little merchandise items that we don't get. And I, I, I'm... Thankfully. Spending our time, right? Spending my time looking around, and I eventually go up to the little the little kiosk, and I, I oh, I'd like to get a pass for the museum. And the kid looks at me, and he goes, "You're not going to wait for your kids to show up." <laughs> <laughs> he said that in British, uh, but it was funny. <laughs> but I said, "No," I said, "Um, uh, it's just me." And he goes, "You're American." And he said, the only adults that go to this museum, I am Blackpool, yeah. Dr. Museum, are a, the only adults that he ever sees unaccompanied by a minor are Americans. And I went, fucking guilty as charged. Just give me the fucking ticket. <laughs> Shut up. I almost bought, when I, before I bought the house I'm in right now, we were looking. Yeah. I almost bought a house because they had at the end of the driveway, like the kid waiting for the bus. Mm -hmm. thing yeah but it was mm -hmm. a tardis but it was yeah. a tardis and yeah. i was like i i have oh, to have this yeah. like, this nice. has to be in my nice. life yeah nice. two tar two doctor who fans <laughs> yeah. there's a thing where it's like we understand very few people are doctor who fans 
today who were also Doctor Who fans 30 years ago. When they first started. Oh, yeah, right? No. There's very few people that made it through all 13, depending on how you count them, doctors. <laughs> and yeah. I, I didn't. And I, I didn't either, first. right? So there's a point where I checked out. And everybody has a point where they checked out. Yeah. And right. it is very funny when you talk to other people some people checked out and they're like, yeah, at that point, it just became less interesting for me. And other people were le- will be like, Eccleston is dead to me. <laughs> or like they'll, they'll have some phrase that is just like, you know, fuck David Tennant. Right. There's all, and then other people, meanwhile, are slashing their wrists and bleeding out for the guy. Right. But it is a very funny thing that in that Doctor Who world there, I've yet to find anybody who's just like, give me them all. Like, I'll take the current. I'll take them all. I mean. There's different. <laughs> oh, there's it's a different, whole other fucking there's podcast. There's different levels. There's different levels of like though. Like I have more of an effect. Affinity. Affinity for the older guy. For Baker. For obviously Baker. Yeah, I never made it past Tom Baker. 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 Baker is usually the one where He's you can you can draw the no. line because most Americans did get to experience Baker. But mm-hmm. I shed a tear in all of his glory. When he switched and he died as the doctor, I was crying a tear. You don't understand. John. People John. that listen to this podcast. If they are of the motor scooter persuasion, oh, yeah. Yeah. if they came into this podcast through Vespas and Lambrettas and things like that, they have a very strong opinion about Doctor Who. Yep. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mods thing, like all the baggage that oh, came yeah. in with the mods mm-hmm. culture brought Doctor Who culture mm-hmm. in with it. Because a lot of people that we have in the States are Anglophiles to the point where it's embarrassing to British people. Yeah. <laughs> The term okay. cultural appropriation is not strong <laughs> enough because these guys show up and they'll have like their bike will be like not a union jack, but all of the union flags. <laughs> it will be all of it. It's redonkulous how crazy over the top it'll be. And to the point where it is, it is a caricature. And mm-hmm. so that our friends who are British, our friends who are English, our friends who are Scottish, our friends who are Irish, They'll look at that and they'll be like, wow, not, not nobody. <laughs> well, that, you, fuck yeah. Uh, nobody. It's bloody English, isn't it? Fuck that. Fuck that. In one of my P200s, I couldn't add another checker or target. Yes. I was going to, I was going to yeah. out him. I was just waiting to out him. He outed himself. He's like, this is better than where Phil's going. Yeah. I'm just going to throw myself on this grenade now because he knew I was ramping I like up to smoking. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt it. I felt it coming. Well, if, if I might, I'm going to take us back full circle then because we were talking about me and my little Honda CB200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when in those days, um, the Who film Quadrophenia oh. came out. Oh, oh yeah. shit. Yeah. And there was a trim. Oh, there's your oldest. Speed blocks RD. Yeah, so yeah. so all the mods were like coming out the woodwork all over. That became a big thing. And yeah. you were either get you were either going to become a biker or you were come, going to become a mod. Yep. But because it, it's in because it's in Britain, of course, there always has to be violence involved, doesn't there? Yeah. And it was like, man, and you literally. I remember my pal riding down the road on his on his Yamaha RD, and he looked in his mirror, and there was a huge pile of mods piling up behind him, and they all had like. Uh, 250, I think, I think maybe like a 300 scooter. There were some quick scooters anyway. It, and on all, know, on in all, that era, the Vespa P200 and P200. the Lambretta TV200. So the Rally 200, the Super Sport 180, and the P200 all would have been, you know, available up until about 1981, right? right. The P200 carried on forever. 
And the Lambretta, there still would have been some Lambretta TV 200s and SX 200s roaming around in the 80s. Some quick, and they're proper quick, quick bikes. Yeah. They're going to go 70 miles an hour. They were going to, you know? they were going to, me, me and my little Honda CB200 and my mate on his Yamaha RD, and he only had the 125. Oh, yeah. We were, we were going to get, so you were going to get smoked. Yeah. So yeah. he's yeah. looking in his mirrors and he see all these guys in their fishtail parkers and yeah. chrome helmets bearing down. He was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so got, your only chance was to go hurtling around a few corners very, very quickly yes. and hope that they didn't make it. <laughs> but, it was just oh, it was just so much animosity. It was unbelievable. And it is funny because, you know, the Tempest and the Teapot, whole thing about the bank holiday weekends mm. and mm. these riots, yeah. you know, these riots, yeah. it was, again, it sold papers like nobody's business. So for people that kind of grew up in that neighborhood and friends of ours that lived in Coventry and mm-hmm. would go and, you know, and who were in scooter clubs and were honestly itching for a fight and they would go to bank holiday weekends with every weapon imaginable loaded in their jacket pockets like just ready for a slaughter and they were going to get kicked the fuck out of some rockers and very rarely would anything actually kick off because at their core they're still british they're still english people and it's true they're not naturally prone to fucking violence unless there's a football game, a match. I was just going to say, yeah, I don't quite that's recognize this description. Where, <laughs> and that's the thing is like all the violence and everything that happened at football matches, which was guaranteed, that was like a guaranteed thing going to fucking happen. Oh, yeah. Hooliganism. Yeah, yeah hooliganism. Yeah. Absolutely. But at these bank holiday weekends, there would be people standing around looking at each other going like, poke, poke, <laughs> poke, start a war, start a war, do, do a battle. And and ultimately, my friends are like, yeah, well, you know, you might be like two guys kicking off on two guys over there and they get shut down pretty quickly. But like the big giant bank holiday riot was kind of a one and done. So, so um, I have a question for Nigel. So yeah. so since then, here at least here in the States, it's pretty common that they do Moss versus Rockers events. Mm-hmm. So you have both groups. Oh, I've done with, the living fuck with, out of those. Yeah, well, doing yeah. their own thing with their own bikes but they end up going to the one pub at the end of the rally and just hang out shaking hands right it just everybody's cool but there's Nothing the two it. different types of bike in the same rally was that ever even a thing was it for, <laughs> that's, okay. a, that's a recipe for disaster <laughs> okay you so never, it's not a thing okay no, <laughs> no, i just want to double check to see no, if there was not, not I'm, admittedly i'm probably an old fuck but back in my day right. it would have just been a recipe for a Biggest oh, of course. inviting a problem to yes, happen. Absolutely, it's like it's like inviting a group of the Liverpool Supporters Club to a Manchester United <laughs> convention. <laughs> no, it's okay. going to be a bloodbath. Let me translate okay. that into right, American. Right. Um, it's the Bloods and Crips family reunion. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. got yeah. it. Right. Yeah, I mean, as, as um, to, to quote a, a, a Liverpool football manager, you've got to have a sneaking regard for, and he says, football isn't a matter of life and death. It's far more important than that. (laughs) And that's the kind of emotion that it carries. Gotcha. Okay. That's one of those strange things where you're taking your fucking life into your own goddamn hands if you go to certain matches. Yeah. Yeah. And you know it. Are there sections? Are there like, like, can you go to a match and be like, well, I know I'm going to sit up here and it's cool? Or like, or is it like anywhere? That's a good question. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, so like the Cleveland Browns, they have the dog section. And the dog They don't have a hooligan section. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, you get a special ticket. No. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they do have like a family stand and stuff. It's unlikely to kick off in there, but they they segregate the fans. You like also oh, they do never ever ever see visiting fans in with the home fans. They are separated, and the police are there en masse to keep them Holy apart. Holy shit! And they're okay. in separate sections of the stadium. No matter which game, they're in completely separate sections. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But you'll always get somebody. Some visiting fans who will infiltrate the home mm. section either because they can't get a ticket for their for the visiting bit, or just because they're there to cause trouble. Gotcha. And oh, uh, boy. invariably, it all kicks off, and somebody scores a goal, and then it all kicks off in little pockets, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now, there's also control because unlike you know in our cities when we have football games, you know, gridiron. Yeah, when <laughs> we have football games here, for the sake of clarity, I will call football matches as football matches. I will call football games as football yep. games. That yep. will help. That will be how you know the difference between <laughs> armor and unarmored field warfare. Here's what I was surprised about for football matches is they will hold tickets for local and they will have tickets for not local. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Completely segregate. Right. Complete segregation. Segregate the shit out of it. And we try that too with the home and the away side and things like that. And it's, but it's self, it's very self-organized here. Mm-hmm. There it's not. You are clearly purchasing your ticket as a away team fan or a home, home team, team fan. Yeah. And they enemy. do not sell tickets or they're not supposed to sell tickets to let a stadium be sold out to the away fans because Ah. yeah. And that's where there's been problems with that in the past is at certain highly contested matches, away team fans would strategically buy up all the tickets to give themselves numerical superiority in the field of battle. (laughs) And those are what they call bloodbaths. And there have been a few of those that have made news worldwide. So United, yeah. United uh, invented football hooliganism back in the early seventies. <laughs> on a few claims to fame, but anyway, um, one of the one of the clubs down south um, in Luton uh, got really fed up, and United went down and destroyed the place a couple of times. And they decided then they weren't going to have any away fans. Well, to us, it was really important to go to all the away games. We had this thing called the the attendance competition, which is just, you know, I mean, you had to do Southampton away on a Wednesday evening to have a slightest chance of winning Damn. the attendance competition. You know? But my pal Juligan, the hooligan, registered his uh, registered his um, application to join the Luton Supporters Association right. using his his parents' holiday home address, which was well away from Manchester. So oh. he only wanted it for one game of the season so he could get into the game of that's hardcore. Yeah. And there's Vinnie Jones. The Vinnie, Jones Vinnie Jones is probably one of my favorite examples of somebody who is the, I- the icon of football hooliganism. And there, in that picture, just mm-hmm. above where your yeah, mouth one is, here. is one of the greatest yeah. players of all time. Absolutely. That is the great Eric Cantona. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was proper aggro when he needed to be, but he was also a very, very, very gifted footballer. He was playing for the, um, in, uh, in France, and um, he was only quite a youngster, and um, there was a lot of aggro during the game, and then afterwards he was walking away, and he 
something happened and he, his manager saw him and he walks off down this sort of alleyway and three of the opposing fans walked after him. Mm. Uh, opposing players followed him down there to try and sort him out. And by the time the manager could get there, these three players were running out, running away from him. <laughs> Jeez. He's a real hard man, but he was a fabulous player. Yeah. And that's kind of like the American take on something versus reality is everybody here would be like, wow, Vincent Jones, Vinnie Jones, holy shit, fucking monster, right? No, he routinely got his ass handed to him. Routinely. He was not, he was not what, you know, in, a, in hockey, you know, we have these goons. In hockey, there are goons, and goons are guys that you're just like, not the best player. But he's going to take, he's going to take some, some teeth. It's yeah. going to, he's not there for his skill. <laughs> right? Right. Just putting on the, you know, what, taping on the foil, coach. <laughs> on the foil. Taping on the foil. And so that was the funny <laughs> thing about, like, the American perspective is you see Vinnie Jones and you're like, oh, this guy's clearly a monster. No, he got thrown away. He got thrown around. And that's, uh, I do think it's funny that people don't realize how violent that sport is. And comparing it to American football, which is, regulated on very, very short spurts of energy. It's very short time windows here and there, and there's times out if you get too scared. Um, there's all kinds of things they can do. They have all kinds of different people they can put out when you get too tired, oh. and you're wearing 37 shades of carbon Kevlar fiber, Kevlar fiber and everything else. And most of, the people, most of the people that are playing football, yeah. like they're maybe 180 pounds, 100, whatever. Yeah, because you got to run for two fucking right. hours, man. You see Lyle Alzado running for two and a half well, fucking hours. So then you got right. our football guy, right. they just get this lump of a human Human yeah. that just sits there and yeah. stops half the team from coming through. Like, that's his job. Yeah. What's your job? Go to Wingstop and yeah. then be immovable. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just just for the sake of fun, the the one of my favorite pictures oh, in the yeah. world. Brighton, isn't it? Yes, Brighton, yes it Brighton. is Brighton. Yeah. One of my, this is one of my favorite pictures in the world where yeah. what you can see here is that you should you should learn something about the British people from this picture. Like a deck chair. Fuck your fucking deck chairs. <laughs> Fuck your beach chairs. Because what I see here is no human being is in any sort of danger whatsoever. Nope, 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 nope. But those fucking deck chairs. Uh -uh. That shit. Oh, they hate those fucking deck chairs. <laughs> so if you want to slow them down, you want to stop any violence, throw out a shit ton of deck chairs. Line them up real pretty, you know, and just have somebody go out and line them up every two hours. Nobody will get a black eye ever unless they get, they're confusing. They're hard to operate. I get that. You could get your arm wrapped up <laughs> in one of them. Just distract the shit out of them. You might get some splinters or something like that. But straight up, clearly, they fucking hate deck chairs. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how that's I would, uh, that's how I would defend. Yeah. Look at that. And there's a news reporter who's like, there are so few people getting punched in the face that I have to take pictures of these deck kids chairs. assaulting Throwing deck, deck chairs. chairs. Yeah. How bad? You may have seen a picture like this January oh, yeah. 6th yeah, in our yeah, nation's capital. Um, but no, no, no. They're going after the deck chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Pence is not in that building. It's deck chairs. They're going after the deck chairs. Now, what I will say is these fellas here are what they call rockers. Mm -hmm. And they were going to go up to defend the deck chairs. Fucking greasers. <laughs> and that did, not, that did not go well. <laughs> yeah, because these people respect property. These motorcycle fellas, they respect property. Yeah, and right. they saw those mods tearing up those fucking deck chairs. And they were like, no, we're here on behalf of the hotel. And you know what? <laughs> That's it. But if you, do look, if you do look down here at this giant, you know, this was the best picture the newspaper could take, right? To show the fucking carnage. Now, the only casualties you're going to see in this image 
are like four deck chairs. These <laughs> ones are all pointed the same direction they were when they laid them out in the morning. Same with these. These four are proper fucked. Right. Those four might not make it back. Those could be damaged. But that's the fight. That's the battle. And that's what the news came back with. That's what they printed. That's what they ran in the paper. Now, we come from a news-based culture. You Photoshop that shit. You don't let it go to press with everybody standing upright. No. You got to bloody him up a little bit. So that's what tells me, eh, it was basically, I know this guy in this picture. Well, at least probably his grandson. Because I swear to God, he hasn't changed a lick. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. and uh, triumph. That is a triumph. Yeah, that is a triumph. Mm-hmm. And I, you like that? I thought those were the overhead valves. I thought those were the tubes for the overhead valves. It's a hand operated it's a air horn, isn't it's it? It's a hooter. <laughs> it's a three trumpet. Yeah. It's a three horn hooter. How pathetic is that? For that gentleman, that woman is a triumph too. Yeah, she is a triumph. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Look, I mean, Good we could do for all the cheap jokes and say she's got a full rack of teeth or anything. Oh, we could do all that. We don't have to. We don't have to do that anymore. I didn't go there. She looks right. like Avril Lavigne. Yeah, she did. Yeah. You're right. She does. She does. But this right here is the example about how you just know that Lucas is the best form of electrical work in the world, <laughs> that you need 47 headlights to light your way at night. You Offensive do. Dogs. That is exactly it. And all the mirrors. And when they say uh, Amal was the, the, oh. the king of drought, <laughs> <laughs> the prince of darkness and the king of drought. I always think, well, how would some of those scooter boys manage when they've got like 50 mirrors on their bike mm. where somebody comes up behind in a car on full beam? We, uh, oh, so that's we, a good point. We had a few guys in Cleveland, um, Rob Stiley, Robbie Love, you guys know Robbie, yep. who 18, between a dozen and 18, a full spray of mirrors, right? So the full spray of mirrors, and he did that on a vintage Vespa and he also did that on a modern Vespa, which is okay. kind of weird, you yeah. know, keep the dream alive. Yeah. But... How you could always tell, like the real mods, you'd get on a mod bike and 23 mirrors would be aimed back at yourself. Ah, yes. The old... yeah. Ah. yeah, that is it. Right. Because you just want to, you only want to look at the coolest thing in the room. Yep. They're not there to protect you from the other cars <laughs> around you. I joked it was the world's cheapest crash insurance. If the bike fell over, you only damaged $9,000 with the mirrors. Uh, you're fine. The bike was okay. But yeah, they're, you know, in the 60s, people drilled on thousands of unnecessary holes in perfectly good Vespas and Lambrettas to put on mirrors that you couldn't see fuck all in because they were just two strokes and they oh, would yeah. just shake like yep. a motherfucker. And half the time, uh, fast story, Chicago riding out to who the fuck knows where national relief site that we rode our bikes out to one year for a rally. And I went into Chicago, got with the crew, and we hauled ass out of the city on about a four-hour drive that would have taken 35 minutes had it been in Cleveland. And we go. And it starts fucking monsooning on us. And I mean, everybody's just this side of fucking pissed off. But we're on our way to the rally. So that means that, you know, all your gear's in the back of the truck. It's pretty dry. You're probably pretty miserable. But it's a nice summer day. It's, you know, Labor Day weekend. And the whole group finally got its shit together. I mean, like, this, this guy's exhaust fell off, okay. This guy's bike quit running, you know, the fuel tap was fucked. This guy, you know, fuel line dropped off. These are bikes that are 30 years old before they started the ride. And they're owned by people in Chicago who may or may not be the wrenchiest people you've ever met. <laughs> and they insist on riding vintage and looking great in the process. So the whole group finally gets going. We finally have what's called inertia. 
and we're moving down the road at a blistering 30, maybe 35 miles per hour. <laughs> and the rain is coming down and everybody's generally just head down. We're going to go. And the second bike in the row just locks the brakes and goes sliding off the road, panic stop. And everybody, of course, we are, we travel in a group. So now the 20 bikes behind him all got to do what? We all got to stop and back him up, see what he's, what's going on. So we pull over, parks the bike, puts it up on center stand, jumps off and goes running back. One of his mirrors fell off. (laughs) I say one of his mirrors. There were at least a dozen. Yeah. But he literally stopped the wagon train to go back for Ein Mirror. And we never hated him so bad. We never hated anyone so bad. Yeah. And that was the only thing. So I'd be like, Alfredo, man, you just can't stop 25 people to go back for a fucking mirror. And he's like, well, they're expensive, man. And I'm like, oh, fucking damn. Nobody, nobody liked him after that. So uh, we, we thought it would be, I, I thought it would be fun tonight. So how many times have you been to the Isle of Man on a motorbike? Because I know you, you, uh, rode, you uh, rode bicycles, push bikes around I've, there. Right? I've, I've ridden my bicycle to the Isle of Man and raced on it three times. Which is fucking... Dis- that's crazy. That's just... It was mega. How many times did you ride, a, ride your bicycle over the Isle of Man? Not even a 16th of negative a fucking... One. Yeah, negative one. He hated that bicycle. From the second we got there and got mountain bikes, he never... Th- he like. He was like the first fucking, first day or two. Going he was to like, hill and back, and I was like, "No, fuck this! No, we're not doing this shit anymore." We, we were staying in a little hotel just off the front at, at Douglas. Mm. Oh yeah, and to get up to the grandstand for yes. the start, you've got some steep little yeah. bits just fuck to get yes, there. Yeah. warmed up. Yeah, but I was um, so I was on a on a, a trip, a, a motorbike trip with one of my old cycle racing buddies uh, earlier this year, and we met a bunch of people, and they were so we said, so "How do you two know each other?" So we were racing cyclists at the same time. But Paul was very good, and I wasn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, my excuse is I suffered from exertional asthma, but I was really rubbish. And he just indulged me with a quick, quick um, TT course motor, uh, bicycle story. Please do. So that's what we're here for. We had this thing in our in our. We were in the Cheshire Roads Club, and some of the fast lads started driving around with these stickers in the back of the car, and they put like Cheshire Roads A Team, and we thought this was a bit snooty. Really, this was a bit, <laughs> bit in for a dig. So my mate started the Cheshire Roads Team Z. Yes. <laughs> we were the cool cats. Anyway, there was one, one lad who actually went on to be much better than anybody else, good pal of ours, who was in Team Z. And he went to become a professional on the continent eventually. So anyway, um, we Team Z'd the, the Isle of Man big style because on the last Friday, they have three races on the TT course. They have the three-lapper Manx International, which is for like the very, very top guys. They have the um, uh, the Viking Trophy, which is a two-lapper, and they have the Man in Veg, which is one lap, which is for all the crap riders, which included me. <laughs> so this particular time, it was it was wet, which always makes it nice. Yeah. And there were a we're only on in the UK. You're only allowed a maximum field of forty riders on the open road. It's just legislation. Hmm. Well, there were 173 <laughs> riders on this because it's closed road, Fuck. of course, on the oh, TC yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we set off. And it was all going quite nicely in a huge group. I was about halfway down. And because I'm very tall and all my height's in my legs, I could see down a bunch of riders very well. Well, we were going down a long, gradual descent past what the Highlander pub, which I don't think is there anymore. And it was wet, as I say, and you could hear this whir of free wheels and whatever. There was spray everywhere. You're coming yeah. down off the mountain. No, this was before. This was coming after we'd gone out of Douglas and we yeah. were going out towards... Um, Bollock. 
Yeah, 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 well before. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're going down this drop, and um, I saw this hole appear in the bunch. So I was the oh, first... Brad, you were Brad and Bridge. I was the first yeah. row that stopped, because all the rest just went down like nine pins. And there was a guy sitting on a wall with blood pumping out of his ears. Jeez. So I'm off my bike and like cyclocross style running. Right. The lads at the front who were ahead of this heard the bang, got out, woo, out the saddle and off they went. We never saw him again. Really? Anyway, me and a few others carried on trying to catch him up. All the rest gave up. But me being persevering me, I carried on. Ended up I was on my own. <laughs> but on the, on the front cover of, um, of Cycling Weekly, which was the big, the big mm. weekly, the big paper thing, um, there was a picture of my mate John, the, the the really good lad, the the one that we wanted to throw out at Team Z because he was too good in his <laughs> in his England national jersey, coming over the line with his arms aloft to win the Manx International. Nice. And if you looked in the bottom left hand corner of the picture, you could see my back wheel just crossing the line. <laughs> on the uh, so you weren't far behind him. No, you were right in his pocket. <laughs> just he'd done three laps, and I'd only oh, done the one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so that they'd shown crap. you the blue flag once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I think they felt sorry for me. They just thought, let's let this lad finish. He's tried hard, hasn't he? See, here's here's a good example of the difference of how proper people in England are. So I basically have the same kind of story, not at the time. But I, same thing, I was a miserable racer. I, I worked my ass off, but I just didn't have the genetics for it. But instead of Team Z or something nice, we just called ourselves Scum City. Scum so, City. <laughs> so we had all the good guys and there the A go. guys and all of that. Works. And then we had whole kits made and everything, you know. And, and But we also were known to, like, you know, if we, we couldn't beat you, we might knock you off your bike. So there was, <laughs> there, was a, there was a time in the early 80s where riding bicycles, it became mandatory you had to wear a helmet. Oh, yeah. In Europe in particular. And so I was riding at the time on a, a mountain bike team. And so we were doing some centurions and we were doing some mountain bike racing in Germany and Austria and, you know, generally the Alpine region is the nicest way to put it. And we did the Frankenstein Castle ride. We did all these cool a rides. Flat riding, right? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's fucking, yeah. And that's why Oscar hates me to this day. Because yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, hill work, no problem. Yeah. We did it for a couple of days. I have 21 I years like, to play with, like, right? <clears throat> Oscar was like, fuck you. And I look back and Oscar's walking the bike. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. I can't and he used get... to ride too, but I was right. like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 and no. They, no. Uh, hills don't bother me and that's, <laughs> that's fine because that's where I rode. But they forced us to wear helmets and we went and found, do you remember the old black leather Oh, yeah. Stripe helmets? Yeah, that's what I used to race in. Well, yeah, yeah. that's what you used to race in, right. In the day. Yeah. It was kind of hard to find those in 87. Yes. So we had to go, we went and actually found those. And because they would not, they could not rule us out that we weren't, you know, it was a helmet. And even though it wasn't what they meant, (laughs) it was a helmet. And they, and we, we ran them and we rode them and they had to let us in the races. But yeah, you would see all of these professional, great European mountain bike riders who had their shit together and had sponsors out the ass. And then you saw all these guys who were very clearly United States Army soldiers. Take that for what it's worth. Wearing these stupid, stupid leather bicycling helmets that that, kind of stuck out a little bit. And remember, this is the late 80s where everything was neon. 97 different shades of neon. You had a shark fin on your bike. It was a different color than your bike. Like you had a bottle cage. It was 17 different colors. Like the whole bike was like a study in contrasts. Our shit was all camouflage. We were invisible. (laughs) And we had Cannondale as a sponsor and we had GT as a sponsor. So we had two decent sponsors of the day. That was big money. 
And so I had a Cannondale and I had a, a GT. And I broke the Cannondale three times, which turns out those giant thick fucking tubes, not as great as you thought they might be. So the GT never broke. I never broke the GT. But we were 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old guys doing these runs, and we were shit. I mean, there's no better way to put it. Well, there's nothing we more were garbage. Humbling. There's nothing more humbling than thinking you're a good cyclist and then you know, I'm going to go race my first race. Yeah. And then you get in it and you get the big hill and you attack with the hill and you're like, oh, I'm fucking doing it. But then the guys all attack at the top of the hill and leave you. And now you're in the <laughs> you're backpack gone. and you can't bridge and you're just dying. You're working 17,000 times harder. And like your thought of like, I'm a decent rider just dwindles into like, I am complete shit and I, this is horrible. And <laughs> why do I even live? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> How do you pronounce this, Nigel? I don't know. No, that's clue. not what it looks like. Is it, what is it? Well, the problem is it might be Manx. Yeah, it, it almost certainly is. I have no idea. How it might be Max. Max. There were, and that was one of the strange things about our first time on the island, the first time at the Isle of Man, was there were things that even Irish people, that Welsh people, that they were still just like, yeah. And they're trying so hard to get their language back. They are, you know, the Manx language, mm. they're putting it everywhere. And it took us two days, I think, two days to discover that Ellen Vannon was not, you know, Ellen's van. <laughs> <laughs> right? That it turns out that Ellen Vannon, Vannon means Isle of Man. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. we did not understand that everywhere you see the standard for the Isle of Man, you'll see at the top it says Isle of Man and the bottom, just like this, the, uh, the standard on my door, mm -hmm. it'll say Isle of Man and it'll say Ellen Van underneath it. Yeah. And Oscar and I were riding these bicycles and that was one of the topics of the conversation. What the fuck do you think Ellen Van means? It's, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> they must really feel strongly about it because it's on every fucking flag. And what I didn't realize is it was a flag that had its built in. It had its own translation built in. So that doesn't happen too often. Like we didn't produce the United States of America flag, the stars and bars or the checkers, whatever flag we did. And at the top of it put the United States and then underneath put like La Tazuni, you know, we didn't, <laughs> you know, for the benefit of people yeah. who don't live here, translate it for you. <laughs> and, but I thought that was hilarious. Isla Man, Alan tread, Vannon. Tread on me, daddy. <laughs> Bring on your treads. Cronky uh, Vadi though was one of my absolute favorites. Uh, there was many times where... We're just like, I just want to go to Cronky Vadi. Like, I need to go. I need to know what's there. So when we've talked about, you know, returning. So there are so many places that, for those that don't know, in 2019, when we went, it was a particularly moist year. Yeah. It might have been the moistest. Most moist? It might have been the most moist. <laughs> moistest. Pardon me. <laughs> It might have been the most moist, but it was certainly the last for a bit, right? And so being that it was the most moist, we didn't get a whole lot of time watching the motorcycles go by real fast. Yeah. We yeah. did get a great opportunity to be tourists on the island. Oh, yeah. Was that the one when, the, um, when the, um, they extended it onto the Saturday? Probably? They did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The first, race, first time they'd done that, wasn't it? The race schedule was a bit confusing. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, race schedules at the Isle of Man have a lot to do with practice is important yeah. until we're running out of days for actual racing, in which case <laughs> practice becomes far less important. So, uh, so you're saying you haven't practiced. That's okay. Go for it. And this is a place that isn't fucking forgiving. No. 
So to have a place that isn't fucking forgiving and then saying, oh, by the way, your normal three laps of practice you might get in three different weather conditions, maybe, is now down to one lap. Mm -hmm. And we're going to call that your practice. And then it's game on, motherfucker. Some people didn't get a practice. It's suicidal. It really is. I remember the first time I saw an onboard camera like many years ago. I thought it was sped up. I'm like, <laughs> somebody's playing this video at like 400% or something. Yeah, it's no, mental. No, no, it's not. It is so fucking scary. I love scary. when they show them jumping and landing in a turn. And you're yeah. like, how does how the physics you know, work in yeah. that? Like, they're in the air, and then they're yeah. just turning left Phenomenal. or something. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, I, I have to say that I've, I've never actually been to the TT when the races were on. Um, I know lots of people who are, are... I was very fortunate. I work for a company who are actually based in Solon. Um, and they bought a company out on the Isle of Man and uh, made friends with a few of the guys over there. Still still friendly with them now. And um, some of the guys were, were really cool because they knew I was into bikes. So I managed to engineer it such that I had to have a meeting with them for <laughs> about a week. It was the week before the TT, <laughs> nice. which is fine because you can always get a hotel then. There's right. no yes. problem. Yep. And we go to work during the day. And then afterwards, my pal had dropped me at the hotel, quick change, and then... We pick me up again and off we go. And we go, for instance, to um, uh, Glen Helen. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a really nice pub there. We go there, we park his car in the car park, we go in the back, get something to eat, a couple of pints, come out. And now his, his car's completely coned in like everything's yeah, oh closed. Yeah. Roads are closed. We just sit there. We watch the bikes coming through and they practice, as you know, it was full chat. It was yeah. the, the big yeah. thing. And I did that mm, three times, I think. Nice. But my pal also used to come over here working with us, and um, it was always when we had the Moto Grand Prix on at Indianapolis. Oh. So we'd drive down on the... And there's lots of boring bits I won't rattle on about, but one of the, one of the things he did, because he's, he's like this, we were, <laughs> we were out on the Saturday night, we're sitting in this pub, and my mate's got a, a TT T-shirt on. And a guy walked past, and we're sitting there eating, and then he walked past the other way, and then he came back again, and I'm watching him, and he's looking at it, and he just couldn't help himself. And he goes up to Eric, and he said, um, T.T., have you been? And Eric, because he's an arse, says, um, let me think, he says, in my life, I think I've missed five of them. Oh, <laughs> damn. I said, yeah, and what he's not telling you is he's raced it as well. And so, oh, shit. <laughs> this guy was freaking out. So You have to. I yeah. mean, that's awesome. That's that is the strangest thing when you get there and you realize there's TT royalty. Oh yeah, there are absolutely TT royalty, and there's TT royalty not just among the racers, among the support staff, the corner yeah. workers. There's people there that have been doing it for thirty fucking years yeah. and know where every brick is. Okay. There's people that live on the island, and their houses have become landmarks in the race, and they can't paint their mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. It's like markers. Marker They're markers. Yeah, 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 it's exactly it. And when you get there, then you realize too, from a spectator standpoint, the badging, like you know, Brits collect badges like nobody's fucking business. <laughs> so you go to a Harley rally, and a guy's got a leather cut vest on, and he's got like you know uh, fifty fucking patches on. They're all for, the same bullshit. Dilly I, and yeah, 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 yeah. And well, no, that. there's all okay. So the idea is. You guys don't know this. I'm sorry. I should have read you in on this. So here's the way it goes. When you buy a biker jacket, a biker vest, okay? Now, sometimes when you buy a biker vest, um, it comes with pre-patched, right? So sometimes a biker vest might actually show up. And I love the fact that 
I can just Google <laughs> and a pre-patched biker vest will show up. Isn't right? that cheating? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but not, not here. All right. There you go, baby. Can't so that. yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> now he gets it. Now you get it, right? <laughs> so now, and I should be, I should be throwing this up because this is a real thing, yep. and this is how fucking lame <laughs> Americans are uh, that you can just straight up just go ahead and buy a. I think that it's just the world's best definition of failure, yeah. right? So you can just buy for fifty, and by the way, fifty doll hairs. In your choice of any size, but usually just large and triple extra large. Okay, let's be honest. And they sell the they okay. sell the metal things. If you get fatter, right, you don't have to close it no. anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, you'll notice this vest has the lacing up the side for that exact same reason. Oh, right, okay, right, right. Like he's not bonus. into animal corsetry. He's giving himself room for cheeseburgers. Okay, so now here's the thing: if you go to any bike event on the planet, any motorbike event in the United States. You'll find the guy selling the vest who has his sewing machine set up. And these guys are skilled at sewing. These guys do great work. But he also has a wall with 975 usually dumb shit patches. Mm -hmm. If you can read this, the bitch fell off, et cetera, right? We've (laughs) all seen these. These colors don't run. And it's because these colors don't run that you need a size triple extra large vest. (laughs) If your color ran a little bit more, you might be able to slim down into maybe an extra large. (laughs) So try running colors. Did you know, I heard a story today that the military, U.S. military, is having problems getting people in because they can't find kids fit enough to fucking join the military. 13, 15, and a 15-minute run, 13 push-ups, 15 sit-ups. Yeah. And I think it's a 15-minute run. You get to run a mile in 15 minutes. Right. They can't find people. 13 push-ups, 15 sit-ups, <laughs> and 15-minute mile. I'm, I'm signing up. I can do that. <laughs> and that's if you're 18 years old. That's to wow, get in the door. that's pretty fun. And when up. you can't find people that can do that, uh-uh, bad sign. Strange. I know I can do it right now. That's no problem. I always do it. So, so and seeing the... Um, <laughs> Seeing the patches and all that kind of stuff reminds me. One of the cool things, I, I mean, I, I'm not much of a motorcyclist. I don't have much history behind me. But one of the nice things was when I was telling you about when I, when I bought, famously bought my uh, midlife crisis motorcycle. Or whatever, <laughs> the, um, some of the lads from the local Triumph dealer used to organize a run from where we were. It was about 40 miles into the West End of London. And on a Tuesday night, on like the third Tuesday of the month or whatever, it was uh, Triumph Night at the Ace Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we used to ride into the Ace. That was pretty cool. So, yeah. so I got a couple of Ace Cafe patches on my denim jacket that I did actually buy. That you actually the got. Ace Cafe. I kind of figured, you I, figured I earned, I earned yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you about nine out of ten people that have them here have never been to the Ace <laughs> Well, and we had the Ace Cafe in Chicago as well that wow. did a really good job. Larry Fletcher, Larry Fletcher yeah. had his Ace Cafe that had British motorbikes all hanging about, and it okay. was in Chicago, in nice. downtown Chicago proper. Right. And Larry did a beautiful job at his version of an Ace Cafe. Yeah. And it was, it was wonderful. It was really good for people that couldn't make the pilgrimage to go to the Ace Cafe, mm. um, which has now had a whole rebirth. So it's, you know, yeah. it's definitely turned a corner. So the badges, you know, what they call pins, right? They show yeah. that patch right Which one? There's the Ohio. Flag. There's an Ohio flag right in the middle of that one. There's a whole bunch of Ohio-related stuff, yeah. right? But the British, and when you go to the Isle of Man, you're going to find these guys that have these pin collections, right? And there's one the one guy that's really famous that has, yeah. like, from top they to go, bottom. Like, they go like from his shoulders yeah. all the way down because you get a little 
rocker. You get a little metal rocker mm-hmm. that you clip onto your the previous year's pin, oh. and so you get a little chain. Like a, yep. they look like tank yep. tracks. And they go down, and it's hilarious when you go there. We're talking about royalty among the spectators. Oh, yeah. People stop that guy to Take get pictures, pictures with him yes. and his cut, his his denim jacket yep. that has never been laundered, ever. Yeah. yeah. Could stand itself up in the corner. <laughs> he may die. The jacket will live on. But it is, uh, it is very funny that, you know, Oscar and I found out that the pin collecting at the Isle of Man is fucking off the charts. And Oscar... The thrift shops, like going oh, yeah. into, oh, he geez. was he figured out going into um, the one like antiques and, yeah. and Douglas yeah, antique stores, yeah, and just buying. And we old went in there, we're like, there's there's swag from TTs twenty five fucking years ago that is so cool, right. and you're like you're buying it at yeah. knockdown prices. It's Fantastic. so fun. Oh, it's yeah. really fun. It was really cool, yeah. and uh, because it is such a such a big thing there, it's not just cats with no tails. It's uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing, you know, it's all motorbikes. So, but it was great. And we had a, a really enriching experience, even though there wasn't as much motorbike racing as that we wanted mm-hmm. to see. Right. We were forced to learn about the island. The Peel Museum. The Peel Museum and all. Yeah, it was fucking really cool. And so that's one of the things for people who haven't been to the Isle of Man, that it's hard to tell them that even if you happen to get rained out, there's a shit ton There's of cool stuff to do, to do yeah. Yeah, but it's is. all car and motorcycle related because anything that can go fast goes there. Yep. Jeremy Clarkson owned a lighthouse there on no small piece of property because it's a tax shelter. Yep. And you can also drive as fast as you fucking want to drive because it's an unrestricted aisle. Cal Crutchlow lives there as well. Exactly. In fact, Cal Crutchlow goes training with Mark Cavendish, the uh, Tour de France rider. How fucking cool is that? This is kind of that thing. And there's something strange about the Isle of Man. And it's very hard to put your finger on it. But it's not this. It's not the, I bought my, <laughs> no. I bought my credentials. So the trick is when you buy these vests, you would buy the vest and you would have all the stupid patches on it. You'd start with all the stupid patches on it. And then when you'd go to actual real events that had patches, you would then I'll swap them out. Swap yeah. them out. Mm. And so your ratio of dumb shit patches to authentic patches will change <laughs> so that you never have to go out there wearing shame of all shames, mm. a naked vest. Right. But the, and right. I like when you go and you look at the pre-made ones, yeah. they, they have them laid out too. So you can have like the, I'm a bad boy yes. thing, but then yes. you also have the Jesus rider yes. ones that are, those yeah. are all nice patches. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they have it all segregated for you. Again, <laughs> like I said, I've been to Disney and I've seen people at Disney wearing these exact vests and they make goofy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Goofy's got a gang Yeah, oh, and they make goofy vests like patches that are all, you know, Cholo style. Yeah. But they're Disney, Disney characters. Yeah. yeah, so it's a funny thing. Look into that if you want a super deep dive into a subculture. The street gangs of Disney is a pretty pretty Oof. fun thing to look into. If you think you're down a rabbit hole, you've not seen the bottom of the fucking <laughs> rabbit hole. There's, a, there's, more, there's more down down there. Uh, so that was, that's kind of fun. Uh, some of my most uh, abiding memories of the Isle of Man actually come from the Wednesday, which was the rest day. There was no racing mm, on the Wednesday no racing for whatever reason. Yeah. And we used to go out on a training ride or whatever, like we need the miles. And <laughs> we, every year something stupid. Like one time I'm going down a really long, fast descent and a cat ran out from a bank on the left-hand side and just ran between the two wheels of my bicycle. <gasps> I think that's how the Manx cat lost its tail. <laughs> I, I thought, all I thought, cats were born without tails after that. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought it was coming down. I don't know how I missed it. But one of the things that we did was um, one of my pals, Alan, he... Um, 
bless him, Alan, he, he was pretty, pretty broke, really, but he worked in, a, in a, a cycle shop in the middle of Manchester. And he turned up and he got the very best Belgian tracksuit and the matching hat or whatever. Mm. And our coach used to always stay in the hotel just around the corner, and he was adamant his riders, when they weren't racing, always had to have long sleeves on because mm-hmm. sun is going to sap mm-hmm. your muscles and it'll screw you up and whatever. And you always had to have a hat on. So Harold would be sitting there watching everyone going past. And if one of Harold's riders went past without a hat on, he was in dead trouble. So we went out one day and we decided, our pallet works out, that we could get the little train. There's a little steam train and it goes all the way down to the south end of the island. And we put our bikes on there and then we'd get off. We'd ride back and we'd have a bit of a run. So we're bobbing along and Alan's there in his, in his smart Belgian kit that he's saved for months to buy. And he sticks his head out the window looking behind the train and a bush went and smacked his hat off. Oh. And, he, and he, pulled his, he, pulled his, he pulled his head back and he's looking really pissed off and shocked. And Pete says to him, where's your hat, son? In a bush, H. No good in a bush, son. Get it on your head. And Alan was nearly in tears and I was like crying laughing. <laughs> but this poor bastard, you know how important it was to him, you know? So we get there and we get the bikes out and we carry on and we're on the way back. And then Pete suddenly goes, we went, we rode under a railway bridge and Pete suddenly goes, hold on, lads. And he stopped and scampered up a bank and we ran after him. And there's the railway track. Look just back down the track and there was Alan's hat sitting oh, on the side. Oh, so he got it back. Fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that was an obscure story, That's but I, just thought, I thought it was cool. So, yeah, me too. I've been to Sturgis, South Dakota a few times. I've mm. been on the ride. I've been there for bike week. I've been there not during bike week. So the roads are fantastic. Not going to lie. They're, they're epic. They're magical. But what you see here is a, an actual real image. This is not a doctored image. But this is a real image of when you're there for bike week, how crowded yeah. the roads might be. And these are all baggers, you know, big Harleys going out for maybe their only ride of the year. <laughs> um, they, these ones are all off the trailer, though, to their credit. Nobody's riding their bike on the trailer through these curves. And that's pretty tight. Mm-hmm. That's pretty congested. Yeah. That's dragon type turn. These are. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Isle of Man is known to have a couple of turns on it too. <laughs> and uh, so you said Wednesdays, the roads are closed mm-hmm. because they got to get business done. Yep. There's things that have to happen. Remember, they're racing on actual city roads. Yep. And when they run the race, they shut the roads down, make sure everything's shut down, send a couple of high performance cars down, and then send the doctors on their motorcycles to make sure the roads are clear. That's a fucking sight if you've ever been there. But those roads are closed only during the time of the racing. When the racing's over, it goes back to being a road. Except Sunday. 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 Let's talk about Sunday. So we talked about how tight Sturgis was. Well, let's talk about how tight the Isle of Man is on Mad Sunday. (laughs) Because that's Mad Sunday. Mad Sunday has as much of a reputation for killing riders as does the actual event. That's the descent down to Craig Nabar. It is. That that is the run down to Craig Nabar. So this gaggle fuck of motorcycles, (laughs) which best I can tell by looking at the helmets is circa 1998, maybe 98, 99, 2000. But this gaggle fuck is 28 miles into the ride. Yeah, yeah. This is 37.7 mile course. And this run down out of the Snaefell Mountain course, right? This, this run coming down the hill is going to a very famous bar. And if you think there's any way you're getting a pint at that bar, <laughs> yeah. you're wrong. So when you think about how insane Mad Sunday is. Now, what's probably happened here is that some riders had what they call an off. Yep. 
and they've probably had to stop the traffic to clean up bits and pieces of motorbike and person or whatever. (laughs) Because when it's Mad Sunday, it is still an unrestricted aisle, and it's still one direction. Yep. It's still a one way on the mountain. So these people get off their multistrata. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> it's not going to be a Harley bagger. It's probably going to be a multistrata or something like that. And yeah, they're going 130, 140, 150 miles per hour. And that's not happening at Sturgis, or it's not supposed to be happening at Sturgis. But that's what Mad Sunday is. What Harley can go 150 miles per Well, that's the point, right? Well, when we were there, they didn't have a Mad Sunday. No. Because it stopped raining on Sunday for 11 seconds. So they ran 14 practices. So they said there won't be a mad Sunday. And you saw the general opinion of all the people (laughs) that just brought their leathers with the knee pucks and everything else. Just waiting for Just waiting for mad Sunday. So they could ride. Yeah. (laughs) All of the Ricky Rocket types. And Isle of Man is different. Everybody at the Isle of Man is all the gear all the time with pride, right? You don't you don't ever question if somebody's a biker at Isle of Man. It's just that thing. It's like, yeah, I'm a fucking biker. I'm going to carry this helmet around for two fucking weeks to make sure you understand <laughs> that I'm not riding the bus, you know? And it is that place where you think that when you go to your job, when you think that you're you're driving, you know, to your kid's soccer practice or whatever, that you're like, oh, you know, I'm a motorcycle rider and that makes me different. You want to blend in? You want to fucking disappear? Go to the Isle of Man. <laughs> it's almost impossible for you to find your friend. If you, like, look at that. Look at that giant fucking mess of people on motorcycles. That's what happens when you stop Mad Sunday, when you make a pause of Mad Sunday. Incredible. It's crazy to me. Like, the whole thing is bonkers. We didn't get a mad Sunday. Like we did not have the privilege of having a mad Sunday because our mad Sunday was canceled due to practice. Right. So and all the restaurants and trying to put your, your gear or anything anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fucking packed. You can barely put it on the floor. Yeah. You, um, of- you generally, you know, in the States you come in somewhere and you're like, I've got to have a place for my helmet, and my oh, jacket. Yeah. And in, in Isle of Man, people are like, are you fucking new? Are you new? You brought your helmet and your jacket in here? What the fuck is wrong with you? It, it, you leave it on your bike. Like, don't show up in here. You need a table for six and six more chairs for your helmets and jackets. They have a term for that. They call them Yanks. And, and lock it up on your bike. Lock it. No, shh. You know, that's the other thing. Yeah. In America at motorcycle events, the gear is sacred, Right. If we're at an event and there's 900 motorcycles at the event, you're good. You leave your helmet, your fucking $900 Schuberth helmet, jauntily displayed on your left mirror. Your bell staff jacket is draped ever so attractively across your gas tank to prevent the reflections off your windshield from burning holes in it if you ride a Ducati. <laughs> and you come back and your jacket will be there and your, your lid will be there. It might be in a better position than when you left. It. Somebody might say, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we, we checked you up. Yeah, yeah you're good. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, that's real. Or there might be a note saying, cool bike. Yeah. In, in the UK, every event that I've, every motorcycle, two-wheeled event I've ever done in the UK, 
people are straight up checking you constantly. Like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to lock that up. Um, well, no, I did. I locked my motorcycle. I locked my helmet to my bike. That's good. And I ran a cable lock through my jacket. And I, I, I put the, the front wheel disc lock to my motorcycle. No, no, no. You got to lock that up. Like, you got to lock the motorcycle to an immovable object. They're so careful about getting their bikes stolen there. It is such a daily event that when you're traveling with anybody there, they will check you constantly. And at no point on my trip did I ever not have a cable lock, a disc lock. Like, I was carrying 19, 20 pounds of locking mechanisms just to go ride a motorcycle around London or ride a motorcycle around Germany. It's really funny how serious they are about (laughs) that. Even my very very second-hand old Triumph 900 that I famously bought. Um, I used to park inside a locked garage at my house, mm-hmm. and I had a, a, a bolt with a padlock on it inside the door as well. Mm-hmm. But I had a ground anchor fastened into the ground and yeah. a very, very heavy-duty chain to the frame of the bike right. to the ground anchor because some local scrote had come around, break into your garage, and be off with your bike. Yeah. It was horrible. And, you, and our friends in Chicago do the what same thing. Wanker. Yeah, they absolutely do. complete wankers. Well, yeah. You know who's having that problem right now is the Louisville guys, Kentucky. Yeah, they're Spanish. losing a lot of bikes, aren't they? There's, really? There's, oh, it's going on down there, yeah. every There's a forum on uh, Facebook or a group on Facebook, and every week it's like looking for this bike, looking for that bike. They're having really bad Damn. problems. Well, what's going on down there? A lot of thievery. Yeah, somebody's stealing thievery. bikes. Thievery. Yeah. yeah, somebody's stealing bikes. Somebody figured out Benelli you could steal bikes. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. Good. <laughs> I think your Benelli's probably safe. Although it does, Good. they might accidentally steal it, meaning to take a Grom. But I mean, like, they're, they're, they're stealing. Like, the one guy lost They'll the... return it three days later when they realize it's <laughs> not a Grom. That's not the fucking right thing here. <laughs> they're, they're stealing bikes like V65 Magnas and stuff. They have no taste. They're, so they, they're just dumb criminals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Janai? Gen- Jani. Oh, yeah. Jani. Yeah. Is your Jani safe? I don't know. Oh, man, we haven't had you a park it down there. in a long time. When you yeah. were talking about people turning up at the Isle of Man in all the gear and whatever, it reminded me when we, when we used to go over for the cycling week, it, the International Cycling Festival was the week after the TT because they wanted to leave all the uh, oh, hay bales up on all the yeah. 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 air walls and yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they don't do it anymore. That's my, actually a really smart. My idea. days, the air walls were hay bales, but yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so we used to we used to ride from Manchester to Liverpool and get someone to take a suitcase down and meet us at Pierhead, and then we'd yeah. walk onto the onto the ferry and, and so and we get off the other end and we'd be a suitcase on the top. And we'd be wobbling down the prom to get to the hotel, and all the bikers would be coming away. Mm. Mm. All these the Germans that were in those in the seventies were all these Germans on the BMWs, and you get these German women in these tight leathers, and oh, it was like fuck the cycling. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, the oh Heine, dear. How do you say yeah. Heinegerica? Oh, oh yeah, Heinegerica. That was great. So I got about Heinegerica again. Heinegerica. I I that was the that was like item number one when we went for our honeymoon. When we went for our honeymoon, we popped into a, a German motorcycle shop. Mm-hmm. And the item number one of this trip was must have Hein proper in Germany, you know, Actus auf Deutschland, the real made in German Heingerica. And it was so funny because we, we rolled into this shop. And as we were rolling into the shop, rolling out of the shop, and this would have been year of our Lord 2000, was a couple that can best be described as pro-bondage. 
leaving the shop, black leather, tip to tail, right? Perfect. With black, like Nolan style, full face helmets, modulars, modular helmets, tinted shields, and skin tight, just smuggling plums, both of them. (laughs) And they come out of this shop and they looked exquisite, except for the fact that she was probably 63. He was probably 70. (laughs) And the thing is, when they first came out and they're walking towards you, you're just like, look at these two. They look like a 1980s rock video. Like they're getting on a K100 RS. They are clearly living 1981. These leathers were probably hewn for them in 1981. (laughs) They were probably taking them in to have them let out a bit, right, to the shop. Because the shop we went into is a shop that only does leather. Like, that's their thing. They are a motorcycle shop. That's all they do is leather. And when they got out and when they both walked out, my wife looked at me and she went, that's not what you're talking about, is it? (laughs) And I was like, am now. (laughs) Clearly, we're talking about that. We need to talk about that. Is there any chance we can pull that off? Because we were going in to get touring jackets. We were going in to get touring trousers, touring jackets. We were going to get stadium-length proper touring gear. It was 2000. We all knew what it was. We all knew what it looked like. But that was fucking cool. (laughs) And that was touring gear circa 1981. And I thought that was much cooler. This was the shit. When I was a kid growing up, this was just, you knew that was like, and the coolest look you could have in the world, and I mean in the world, was if you had this set of racing leathers or any other ones similar to it, but if you had this set of leathers and you weren't wearing the jacket, but you just had the pants on, and then you had like a motorhead t-shirt, <laughs> preferably the sleeves had already been ejected, yeah. that to me was just like, I was like, that, that's the look I want right there. That was exactly what I what I thought was the coolest look ever. Late eighties, early nineties. I was in my sport bike, early, early yeah. sport bike and I remember colors were a lot brighter than well, sleepy. I, I know, but on top of that, though, but if your Their leathers, suit. oh, definitely. I was a Kawasaki guy, so yeah. But like, if your leathers blended into the bike, mm-hmm. so like, uh, if you yeah. had a ZX Seven with the like the green and the purple, or even like the, the yeah. GSXR. If like your arms looked like the stripes would match the yeah. bike and everything was perfect, yeah, they so, could like, just lacquer you to the bike. Yeah, it just looked like a head floating above the motorcycle. That was oh, you were the man. So when I was rustling about my uh, Honda CB two hundred, looking covetously at people who had proper bikes, there was, a, there was a guy that used to come in the pub and he had this one piece black leather suit, and whatever. And he's uh, Susie GT750, the kettle. Oh, oh yeah, kettle. Yeah, yeah. we call and those the, a water the buffalo. Water buffalo, they called here, aren't they? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he had a, an AGV airflow helmet. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It had like a scoop in the top, and it scooped. Nicky Lauda had one, yeah. very similar one for Formula One. It was just the coolest helmet ever. I was like, well, how does he get all that? And I don't. It's not right, <laughs> is it? Um, would anyone like to talk about the guy that just left the fucking leprechaun fetish party? Because. Policia. Tell you what, if you would, I wouldn't argue with him. He's the man that gives out tickets. Exactly. <laughs> but the fact that the Brit, I mean, the, the Pulitzer 
The Pulitzer made special bespoke green leathers. Hein Gerica <laughs> made them special bespoke wow. green armored jackets and trousers that are, you know, green as fucking their bikes are, man. And that's that's how you know that Germans get leather. Because even a cop on a motorcycle, our cops here in this in this city, what do our police officers wear? A nylon shirt with short sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. A nylon shirt with short sleeves. So did Ponch and You John. know what they wear? Yep. Nylon trousers. No armor. <laughs> there is not one hint of armor on That's a Cleveland police officer. They are so skilled. They do not need it. Again, yeah. I've taken yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> I have taken the course. I will say that. Nobody can fuck a pig the way the Cleveland Police Department can ride around an FLHP, right? Because yeah. the skills that they teach to ride that particular awful motorcycle are priceless. Now, is it the best tool for the job? Oh, God, no. Clearly not the best tool for the job. But they do teach humans how to adapt and how to ride them (laughs) in a very Shriner fashion. Now, I don't know how practical that's going to be when pursuing violators. Stop! (laughs) (laughs) If we could only teach those urban kids on the dirt bikes to ride in figure eights and small circles, we'd get them. We'd get them every single time. But instead, they're doing wheelies and going through alleys and upstairs. Things that our FLH touring can't do. I read a beautiful article one time in one of the British motorbike mags, and it was talking about the best handling motorbikes and what what when they were talking about things like the Yamaha RD350 LC and stuff like that. You know, these are really you know these bikes really handle well and blah blah blah. And they were numbered, you know, like as as you go through it. Anyway, yeah, I think number nine was a full fully dressed BMW police bike, and it just said, "Just don't try out running one of these." <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? Even though that was 1974, Liza still wrote that article because it was a top 10 list. <laughs> it was a top 10 list. <laughs> Oh, ouch. That's um, a, another podcast. We thought, okay. and I, just because I know that a lot of people think that, that America, Oof. that we have the corner on the market Oof. for police officers on Harley Davidson's, uh, just to circle all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, oh no, the Italians can find a cheeseburger too. Because <laughs> here we have oh, a Moto Guzzi California yep. 1100 Guzzi, being ridden yeah. by the entire city of Milan. That's abuse of a motorcycle. That's, yeah. a, that's a fella right there. That's a hella fella. You know, now, normally the Cabanieri, when you see the Cabanieri in Florence, mm-hmm. Varenza, you see him in Rome, you see him. These guys are way far thin. These guys are dead sexy, and they're all like Vogue models. Yeah, not a hair out of place. Not a fucking hair out of place. Right. This this guy's the training office. Look at this fucking guy. Look at this guy. I had to check this photo to make sure it was real, and not just some like American guy on vacation, going to the the Gucci 100th anniversary, which is a year late, but they're having it anyway. Um, But I checked this picture out, and this picture is legit. That is a... Damn. That is a... Italian police motorcycle officer. Now, I know enough about humans to know I can outrun him. And I know enough about Moto Guzzi's to know I can outrun him. So I think we're good. The best he's going to be able to do at me is give me a, a stern cross look. That's about it. But isn't that something? Talking about Moto Guzzi's coming back to him. Yeah. So in the 80s, a lot of bikes got really shitty looking. 
And I think like Moto Guzzi's shittier bikes from the 80s are actually kind of stylish now. Like they're kind of coming back. Like some of the angles that they had on yeah. some of their sportier bikes and yeah. things like that. Well, he he just sold his Breva and yeah. they're fucking beautiful. I right. mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you look at an 80s Suzuki, most of them, and you're like, wow, a square headlight yeah. and all this stuff. And yeah. Guzzi was like, no, we're going to do some interesting shit. But it, like, it kind of holds up a little bit compared to a lot of the other 80s bikes. So I give credit to that. The Moto Guzzi Breva, it never had a bad day. It just never had a bad day. That motorcycle is a sexy motorcycle mm-hmm. forever. It's it's just a sexy motorcycle. They they had they got all the weird curves in the right places. And that's not the easiest thing to nail down because there are other motorcycles that aren't Italian that don't pull it off. And BMW California, whatever the fuck that thing was called. Uh, what was the BMW that it was just horrible? There's been a bunch, and I mean, and now, now doesn't mean that doesn't mean that 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 Motoguzzi's immune to it because Motoguzzi had some motorcycles like called like the Dakota or something, or like they were named after American cities as well. There were a few Motoguzzi cruisers that were uh, fucking hot garbage, and there there were. The Moto Guzzi Youngstown? <laughs> Didn't sell very well. Um, I'm trying to think back, but there were there were a couple of 750s. Um, that Did you get the, the traffic in that model? That the V7, yeah. <laughs> there was a V7 Cruiser that they did that was, uh, I'm, I'm, the name is evading me right now, but it was, it, it was hard to look at because you could tell that it was a Moto Guzzi drawn whilst looking at a picture of a sportster <laughs> and it didn't come off well anytime moto guzzi tried really hard to copy a harley davidson it also didn't go well why would you want to do that exactly <laughs> right just <laughs> let a sportster be a sportster get build your own bike right there's all kinds of stuff that we could say moto guzzi did have a couple of bad days um i've got a pa- the design guys were hung over <laughs> I've got a, a bunch of pals who were all like retread Hells Angels and they all ride Harleys and whatever. But I used to turn up sometimes on my on my gutsy braver and it was just like cool bike, man. Just this is the one I called it. I told it was the Dakota. I was wrong. It's the Nevada. Nevada, yeah. Nevada. It's the Nevada, and they might as well have called it the Broken Horse because yeah. I have not seen a sway back like that on a horse in a long time. That bike. That looks like a Virago that's worse. It does look like a worse Virago. <laughs> and you know what? And very rarely would I ever say the Moto Guzzi, the engine in the Moto Guzzi is not pointing the correct direction because the Moto Guzzi engine is always pointing the, re- the correct direction. But this looks like a Yamaha Virago 535 with the motor put in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does. It's horrible. It it's looks a like it got rear-ended at fucking, some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also looks like the guy from the previous picture sat on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it really does. That motorcycle used to have a perfectly flat seat like a cafe racer. Yeah. Not anymore. It does. It looks like somebody recovered it when they do it really badly <laughs> with like the couch cushion shoved inside it. of it. It does look like a really bad, and bad. It looks it's like got- in the middle of it, it would have one of those buttons. Yes. Like, you know, like the yeah. leather chairs with yeah. the buttons. One in the button yeah. for your taint. <laughs> look at the, suspe- your look taint at the suspension taint. clearance on it. It was obviously built for somebody of that weight as it well, was. wasn't it? It was yeah. clearly meant for that. And here's the problem when I got into selling Moto Guzzi's, the Moto Guzzi V7 750cc, many, many parts from the Breva 750, many, many parts from other bikes fit on it. So, you know, Moto Guzzi never had a surplus of money hanging around. Yeah. 
So the thing about the Moto Guzzi company is they were always able to find another Italian millionaire willing to give it all up so he could say he owned a Moto Guzzi. <laughs> so they were in a perpetual state of oh, distress is the nicest way to put it. And so if you had a fender, you didn't just use it on one motorcycle. You found a way to use it on as many motorcycles as possible. And until Piaggio came along and, and bought them and injected them with so much money, basically the whole idea was Moto Guzzi would buy 750 brake calipers from Brembo until their credit was no good anymore and put all those brake calipers on all the machines. So that was actually kind of good because you'd get really kick-ass brakes on a bike that would otherwise be like a California 1100 cruiser, you know, some bullshit touring bike. But on this particular bike, it fucked us all up because a lot of the stuff that we were trying to get for V7s, we would end up getting for this fucking thing. Now, these were never sold in the United States as far as I know, yet for some reason there was a warehouse in either Atlanta or Texas that had a metric shit ton of parts for these things because I know that they kept fucking my order up and every time I'd order some cool <laughs> V7 parts, some of this shit would show up. And I once got a side panel that made no sense to me. Like, I couldn't figure out how it went on a bike. I couldn't figure out where the front edge was. It didn't make any fucking sense. There are many pieces. This particular backrest fits on nothing except for this motorcycle. I know I have two of them in the back. So if you're if you're ever interested in owning a Moto Guzzi Nevada, which I think I only know one person in America that had one, I have the backrest for you. Yeah, and I think it'll fit all of them because I think they had a very long run, 91 till 2013, if I recall correctly. That was about so. three dozen motorbikes they built in that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yep. What's your VIN? Seven. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be 14 digits. Seven. Yeah, zero, 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 zero. It's 007. <laughs> License to kill. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So that's about that. Anybody got anything else? Do we have a joke? Oh, oh do we shit. have a joke? Put him on the spot. Put him on the spot. Fuck, man, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, come on. Yeah. I told a really bad joke last week because there was no joke. So I just said, what do you call a fish with no eyes? I got one. You ready? There you go. <laughs> and John laughed. John thought it was funny, and I didn't. I, I didn't think it was funny. I just threw it out because I was lost. I didn't have anything else to do. So a girl goes into uh, the church on Sunday, and she goes to confessional. She says, Father, I have to talk to you. He said, yes, my darling, what's the problem? She goes, I think I'm pregnant. He said, my darling, you're only 18 years old. You have your whole life in front of you. What makes you think this? She goes, well, I missed my period, and I think I'm pregnant. He goes, well, how did this happen? She goes, I think... I think it might be the second coming. And he said, really? How, why would you say that? That seems so, like, what would give you the idea that you're going to be involved in the second coming? She goes, well, it had to be because I swallowed the first one. Do <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ever have a joke you could see from a block, block and a half away? <laughs> <laughs> that one was I, wearing safety orange. I was working on it, man. So these two guys are carpooling home from work one day, and the driver looks around and suddenly points at two dogs having sex on someone's front lawn. Look, he shouts, look what those two dogs are doing. Aren't they fighting? The passenger replies, no, they're having sex. Don't tell me you've never seen, do uh, never seen it done doggy style. The driver embarrassingly admits that, no, he never has. Well, you have to try it. Here's what you do. Tonight when you get home, fix your wife a margarita <laughs> and then suggest it if you want to uh, try it. The driver thinks for a bit and decides they'll give it a shot. Next morning, the two commuters are back in the car. The passenger asks, well... How'd it go? The driver replies, 
It was great, but it took me six margaritas to get her out on the front lawn. (laughs) 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 And on that, my friends, remember to ride fast and take chances. And for the queen! (laughs) 